Thank you, Lord, for a chance to be together again, right? Can we give thanks for that? A chance to be together, a chance to be in his house, a chance to study the word and get to know him more. Amen. Good evening, brothers and sisters. Always good to see everyone. And, you know, may we do that always. Remember to give thanks to the Lord first and foremost. And remember to give thanks that we can come to his house. Remember to give thanks that we can get into the word of God. These are liberties we really can't take for granted. Uh, Tonight, as we continue our study through the book of Psalms, before we delve into the recap of last week's charge and do our homework check, um, I want us to just take a moment, because the preparation for Psalm 5 really did strike me, and take a moment to really prepare yourself to be in the Word of God. If you have those cellular devices, turn off your notifications at this time. If you use your cellular device as your Bible, Turn off the notifications. Put it on Do Not Disturb. I'm learning the Apple world. You can customize your different focuses. So have a church one where nothing happens but reading the Bible and taking your notes. Take your mind away from troubles of things that you have to do after this, things that happened before this. Those are all distractions, friends. And we have to not let those distractions creep in so we can really, really focus on the Word of God. If you're watching online, turn off the TV if it's on while you're watching. Put on headphones if it's noisy where you are so you just focus on the Word of God. Because we got to think about what we're doing. We're, we're in relationship with our Heavenly Father And we can't go on autopilot. That's some of what we're going to see tonight. And think about what we're doing. It's the word of God. We're going to the God of creation, his word, his love letter to us, and getting to study that, getting to worship, getting to commune with him. Let us not take it for granted, and let us not make any gestures with it autopilot. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to delve into it. Thank you for this time to commune with you, Lord. Heavenly Father, help us to focus on you alone. Holy Spirit, fill me to be out of the way, to just pour into your people. Be with us, Lord. We pray to you right now that we would know you better, that we would hear what you have for us, and that we would rest and the comfort and security of knowing we have eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're focused now, we're there, so let's take a gander at those charges of last week from Psalm 3 and 4. First, have you taken the chance, remember at the end of last week's message, to close your eyes before you go to bed, before you have sleepy time, to say, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And if you haven't, let's just make that our prayer. Build that into prayer. Um, You know, for us as a family, when we brought that in and remembered to do that since last week before sleep time, it truly reminds you who's in control. It truly takes your eyes off of circumstance. Last week, we were also charged with searching our hearts for where there was distance coming in between us and God. What has crept in? What's taken some of your focus away from anything but him? 
Last week, we were also charged to think about circumstances in our life, those circumstances that can be difficult for us, that can be challenging. Are you looking at the circumstance or are you looking to the king? Are you thinking of the God who is in control and remembering he is in control, he is sovereign, that is who I need to focus on. Lastly, who'd you witness to? Who are you sharing your faith with? It's coming up in the book of John. It's coming up here. We need to share who he is. We need to share that people would believe, receive, and become children of God. We have a world crying out, a dark, lost world right now. Are you being the light? Who are you sharing with? As always, you and only you and God know where you are with those things. I just pray that Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, were a body of people that... Yes, we sit in these comfy red chairs together, but that we're not just looking at the word and praying and pondering what we're learning when we're here in this moment. So tonight we go onwards with Psalm 5 with a message I've entitled, Trusted Help, Security. The superscription we read, Psalm 5, to the chief musician with flutes, a psalm of David. Psalm 5, this is a lament psalm. And you know I love Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Get one. If you don't, they have an app. That, in that dictionary, the definitions we see for lament, mourn, grieve, weep, wail, express sorrow, express deep regret, to feel sorrow, complaint, cries. A lament psalm of David is where we are. And again, Something special as we see David's psalms is we get to see his worship. We get to see his prayers. We get to see what a consistent life of seeking to cry out to God looks like. And from this, there's lessons we learn of what it means to have a consistent prayer and worship life. And it gives us a chance to do a pulse check. We've done four psalms already. Are there any shifts in how you pursue prayer? Are there any shifts in how you pursue worship? Again, Don't just go on autopilot. Now, the lament psalms, they lay troubles before the Lord. As they lay the troubles, they point to a big part that we see throughout each of these psalms, that people cry out to God. People cry out in sorrow. People cry out in distress, in trouble. The lament psalms within the book, they make up a third of the books, which reminds us, When those troubles come, take them to God. I'm not knocking friendships. I'm not knocking having people that you talk to about things. But in our culture today, we're far too quick to have something amiss and our focus is getting the right word on that Facebook post so I can get it online and people can know. And we don't go to the Lord. We don't go to the God who's in control. We make the post. Then we're tracking the post. Then we're waiting for likes. Did somebody share my post? That's not where the focus needs to be. Now, in Psalm 4 last week, I forgot to point out that it listed in the superscription that it was accompanied by stringed instruments. And in those superscriptions, we learn more about the particular psalm. And this one would be accompanied with flutes, the Hebrew word there, nieloth. And this word means to perforate, to bear through. So it would be a pipe or a flute accompanying, it would be a wind instrument. Also in the details of these superscriptions, if we look at different places, like the Septuagint, we find, for him who shall obtain 
inheritance. And with that, what's interesting is there's a solid application for us. Because as we see in John, we receive, we believe, we're children of God. And guess what? That means from the superscription, there's an open door right away for us to apply this. Because we shall obtain inheritance, that eternity with our king. Now, this psalm is also noted as an imprecatory psalm, and we talked about those when we did the intro to the book, because we see in this a strong plea for God's judgment against sinners. And that strong plea would be rooted in the covenant that we see in Genesis 12 to Abraham, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all, the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that's an important thing to know. That's where it's coming from, lest we think this psalmist is just an evil person who's wanting everyone to be cast away. God is a God of love. God is the light of the world. And... God has to deal with sin. That's been the fact since Genesis 3 in the fall. It's a fact for us that have the whole counsel of the word of God. Because remember, David didn't have everything. David didn't get Jesus' story. It didn't happen yet. The prophecies were there, but it had not happened yet. And for those of us who have that, when we do get to the portion looking at the sinners, we need to remember we get the gift to pray fervently for their salvation. To pray for the salvation of lost souls. Through this psalm, we're going to see a prayer that, ha- that cries out to the Lord. We're going to see reflections on sin. We're going to see guidance sought from the Lord. And we're going to see what it means to rejoice for the child of God. So we begin with the first few verses. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Within these first three verses, we're reminded of attributes of the Hebrew poetry, which we spoke about at the intro of this book. We see the use of parallelism right off the bat. The same idea repeated three times in different ways. Give ear, consider, give heed. Three different ways of imploring, God of creation, listen. Please, Lord, hear me. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. David is crying out to the Lord. Now, we don't have clear information of the set time in his life when this happens. Some point that it would be before he flees the kingdom and it's during time where he's seated as the king, but we don't have clear evidence as we saw in the other where we knew, okay, this is pointed It said Absalom, this is when he fled. We don't have that clear thing. But we do see how David approaches the Lord. And it is a reminder to us again to be consistent in how we come before the Lord. He says, give ear. There is in that, hear my words, God, is what David first asks. Then he says, consider my meditation. Consider an interesting, unique word choice. To say to the Lord, Lord, consider. It's as though he's saying, God, from a heart that's crying out to you, that's seeking you, hear me. Consider my meditation. 
Meditation here refers to inner feelings and expressions that are expressed through groaning and moanings. In fact, some other translations that you'll see, meditation isn't even used. Like NLT says, pay attention to my groaning. So we see words, and then we see moanings or groaning. We see two kinds of prayers, words and unuttered longing from silent meditation and being before the Lord. Spurgeon on prayer there says, words are not the essence, but the garments of prayer. As he asks God to consider the groaning in that, when he says, consider my meditation, he's inviting God to truly search within him. And this is an interesting point for us now as we look at this in the context of the Psalms before, because if we think of Psalm 1, we're told to meditate what? In the word of God, when? Day and night. And then if we think of us who has the whole counsel of the word of God, what Hebrews 4.12 tells us about this word of God, it discerns our thoughts and the intents of our heart. All to say, for us with the entire counsel of the word of God, may we actively bring his word into our prayer life. Because that's when, saints, you're reading the word and something strikes you with conviction or longing or revelation and all you can do is groan to the Lord in that moment. You're reading and you get to that verse, and it's still speaking, crying out to the Lord. Verse 2, give heed to the voice of my cry. He then says, give heed to the voice of my cry. He asks God to listen, to listen to what? His voice, his voice doing what? Crying. Words, groaning and moaning, cries. Three different ways, all unto the Lord. A reminder to us that there's no form of expression that we have, that we feel, that we can ever feel, I can't take that to the Lord. Words, moaning or groaning, cries. My king and my God. That's what he says next. My king and my God. Think of a king. A king hears his people. God, he knows, hears his children. As such, give ear, consider, give heed. David knows he will be heard by his faithful king and faithful God. And he's consistent in that. We saw in Psalm 3, 4, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Psalm 3, 4. There's a consistency with David in how he pursues the Lord. How? Humility and confidence. It's a humble confidence that he has. Humility in himself, confidence in the Lord. Knowing who God is, knowing God hears. And there's another important message in this as we keep going. For to you, I will pray. David prays to God. He prays to God. Pastor Vince, of course he prays to God. That's who you pray to, to God. Is that really that obvious, though? We have to ask ourselves that, because far too often our prayers are so focused on the request or the emotions that we're feeling or the hustle that I got to get there in 20 minutes because they're starting that thing there. I, I got to just get this prayer in quickly that we actually neglect to really enter his chamber. We neglect to go before his throne. We actually neglect to sense his presence and to truly focus on God. 
Because in those moments, we're speaking with our mouth, but our hearts have yet to be in tune to the Lord. Our hearts have yet to be in line to the God who gave us a new heart at salvation, a heart that's his and a heart that needs to be yearning for him. Or we pray and we're with a group of people and the prayers that we're praying actually just turn into giving everybody a lesson about what we're praying for. Because while we're praying, we're going over the details of all the things about this is the person, they were wearing this color hat, they went to this store the other week, they had this happen, this other thing happen, they know this person and Johnny knew them but they didn't know that and we're given all of these instructions and information that we're actually teaching rather than praying to God. God knows all the details. We have to be focused on going to God because we go through the motions and our heart is absent. Our hearts disconnected from our prayers. American evangelist and pastor R.A. Torrey had a great quote on prayer that I love. Very much of so-called prayer, both public and private, is not unto God. In order that a prayer should be really unto God, there must be a definite and conscious approach to God when we pray. We must have a definite and vivid realization that God is bending over us and listening as we pray. We saw in John, we believe, we receive, what? We become children of God. That means when we pray to God, we're praying to our Father. And if we're praying to our Father, who loves us, think of the love of a Father, He gives us His undivided attention, and He hears our words, He hears our groaning and moanings, He hears our cries. David is king. He's king. But his kingship doesn't usurp the true king, God, Jesus. And in fact, we see throughout the Old Testament, we see throughout even our culture today, the perils when leadership isn't submitted to God, dare I say. And that's why even when we were lifting in prayer tonight, on my heart, in God we trust, let's try to get back there. Now, what do we glean in these first two verses about prayer? Can't be a habit. That's funny because we talk about praying without ceasing. We talk about praying all the time. And now I'm saying, don't let prayer be a habit. Because if it's a habit, we're not entering his throne with the right spirit of prayer. We're not searching the stance of our heart, soul, and mind as we come to pray. When you're praying, are you realizing that you're praying to God? Think about that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the person you're praying to, the creator of the world. Do you think of the father of creation bending his ear to hear your voice? Or are you too lost in the emotion? Are you too lost in the time? Are you too lost in making sure you're covering all the details so the group that you're with hears everything that you forget who you're praying to? God. Saints, never forget that and reignite the memory of the gift we get in prayer. The God of the universe is listening and aware of you. I think of our culture where everybody wants to feel important. I want to matter. I want to matter. Know the Lord. You matter. He wants to hear your prayers. It's then that we realize when we are in prayer and his presence and in his presence our awareness changes. And guess what? You're going to start to realize the words don't matter so much. It's the heart behind the prayer that matters most. 
Because guess who can see the heart? God. You can talk a good talk in that prayer, but God sees the heart. The groaning is that groan that is sometimes, oh, Lord. And that's it. Oh, Lord. That's it. And there's silence. And there may be another, oh, Lord. But it's a trusting. It's a knowing. It's being before him. It's a heart that truly knows and believes But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6. You know the word of God is a love letter. You know that it's a love letter reflecting his heart for us. When you're praying from that heart, you know he listens you know he rewards, and the reward is being heard. The reward is resting that his will will be done and the security to come of eternity with him. It's trusted help. It's security. Verse 3. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. This psalm is often called the morning prayer. Can you now guess why? at verse 3. Now, prayer, it needs to be how we start the day, needs to be how we end the day. It needs to just be the bookmark and do it a lot throughout the day. Pray without ceasing. I think it's a verse. Now, David starts his day in prayer. He does this to honor God. He does this so that the day is dedicated unto God. He does this so no matter what befalls that day, Ahead, he seals it. It's given to the God of creation. It's given to the God who is in control. It's the God of Psalm 3, who he said was a shield for him, where his glory was found. It's the God of Psalm 4, who he said sets apart his godly people. We see in Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. We see in Psalm 88, 13, But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. He's consistent in these morning prayers. Notice through the book of Psalms again, we get an intimate look at the prayer life and worship life of David, of all of the authors that we'll see in there. And we see the rising in the morning, prayer in the morning to God for his life as an anchor. Fast forward to 2023. Cell phones. It's the alarm clock. The notifications go. The apps go. I am so guilty. I hit the snooze. I'm like, I'm really going to get up after this snooze. And I hit the snooze again. Or I see that text when I finally do decide I'm going to get up. And I start reading the text. And then I go down the rabbit hole of the text. Or I see the email. Or the dog needs to go out. Or I need to make sure the dishwasher actually ran. Because sometimes you think it's going to run. And then it doesn't run. I need to. I need to. We have all of these eyes. And we often insert the I and run with the day rather than going to the great I am. That's where we need to start the day, at the feet of the great I am. When the mind starts to wander with the I need or I gotta or I have to, stop and say, Lord, you, you are what I need. Shift that I to Lord, I need you. Take every I of the morning and turn it to Lord, you. 
Because here's the thing. If I told you, if I gave a little survey and said, tell me the person on this earth that you would love to meet. It would make your day if you could meet them. A president, a celebrity, whoever you want to meet, I'm going to make it happen. You'd be on time. You'd set your alarm clock. You wouldn't snooze. You'd be up. You'd look fresh. You'd look great. Why can't we give the God of creation the same urgency as men or women we exalt above him? Why can't we do that? In the morning, I will direct it to you, he says. Direct there is an important word because it's the Hebrew word used for times as putting showbread on the table or in the temple, laying sacrifices at the altar. This word here means to arrange, to order. Our prayers need to be arranged and in order. And our prayer time needs to be arranged. Set a date with God, rise and keep it. Saints, it might mean you get a little sleep. For me, I'm going to go on the same challenge. I'm going to lose some of my snoozes. It might mean if you have little ones and you co-sleep or they're, they're up when they're going, you bring them into the prayer time with you. You invite them to see what it's like to pray. And it might mean that you don't spend the time deciding, okay, I'm going to pray, but let me get a really good Instagram shot. I'm going to make sure the candle's right there. I'll put the Bible next to the candle. Take that picture. You take all this time staging your Instagram picture that you've lost 15 minutes that you could have been praying with the Lord. And then you take the picture and you're like, hashtag Jesus, and you're just off doing your day. Start the day truly with him, and we have to be faithful. We have to be consistent, and we have to remember we're going to the God of creation. And notice what he says there. In the morning, I will direct it to you. The prayers go to God, and then after... And I will look up. Now, David doesn't say there, I will direct it to you, and then I'll go back to worrying about everything that's going on. Or then I'll go back and try to control everything. No, he waits. Who does he wait on? The Lord. And he's looking up. And if you think about that image of just looking up, your neck might start to hurt, but the neck, there's no neck pain to think about because God's in control and God will answer. He's expectantly awaiting his answer. Now notice something to highlight there because we're in a culture of deception right now. He doesn't say he gets what he wants. He waits expectantly. He knows God is going to answer. And whatever answer God gives is the answer we need. That's a hard thing to swallow, but we can't approach prayer as a magic potion to get whatever we want. I was praying. God told me I'm going to get the new car and I'm going to get that house by the beach. God told me. I know God told me. Hold off, saints. Before you say God told me, hang on a second. Don't shut the door of fellowship. Don't make a new believer feel like they have no connection with God because he's not giving me this magic pipeline. Stop. Secondly, did you, God really tell you this? Or is it your emotions and you never actually entered into a spirit of prayer to surrender and have humility? Consider, give ear, give heed, my king, my God. All that we see before this is humility, surrender. It's knowing God is on the throne. You have to be in the spirit of prayer, not the habit of prayer. Too many times we feel God isn't answering me. God isn't giving me what I want. It's because we have never really entered into his presence. 
and we're deceiving ourselves with our hearts, which we our fleshly hearts, which we know are wicked and deceitful, and we need to pray with that heart that's yielded and surrendered, the new hearts that his. And then we bring those prayers to him, and we wait for the answer. And sometimes those answers will actually be what we prayed many times, because when it's that heart, what you're praying for is going to change. You're going to notice it's going to be a lot less about what you want And it's going to be way more about what he wants as he breaks your heart for what breaks his. It's a shift. We saw that in the other Psalms that we looked at last week. We see that shift that takes place. Because sometimes that answers what we saw in Psalm 3 and 4. It's the strength and endurance to have peace, to sleep, to wake up again and know he's going to be with you through it. That's what that is. So much in just those first few verses and such a reminder that prayer is a gift of a working of the Holy Spirit through us. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's a promise. That's a gift. That's what prayer is. And knowing that gift, in light of that gift, get your wood, start a fire, kindle the fire with the word of God. And as you are kindling it with the word of God, surrender to his spirit. And as you surrender to his spirit, enter into prayer his way. That it's in his presence. That it's surrendered. That it's seeking his will. That it's not a habit. It's not a duty. It's a tender-hearted awareness of who you're speaking to. Daddy, Abba Father, King Jesus. And it's a gift knowing the creator of the world is bowing his ear to listen to me. Verse 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. He now moves on to the character of God in relation to the wickedness of sin. No pleasure in wickedness, no evil dwelling with God. Can we really be surprised when we look at Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It's beautiful when we take it all in context. Because think of what God did right away at the start of this book. He starts with a list of what not to do because from the creation in Genesis 1, 26, 27, he made us in his image He wants us to have his character. So to have his character, there's stuff we don't do. Verse 5. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Boastful don't stand in his sight. The me, 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 me culture, our culture that is centered around praising men, how do you think we do? We're so focused. How many likes did you get? How many followers? How many retweets? This takes praise that should just be focused on God, distorts it, twists it, and it's not pleasing to our Lord. We need to take praise and have that word be one that you think about God and Christ alone. That's who I praise. Workers of iniquity. Those are in rebellion unto rejection of the truth, rejection of Christ. God hates that. He destroys those 
who speak falsehood. He abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. This is getting nasty. No, it's getting real in reality. God can't tolerate sin in any form, period. God hates sin. God can't tolerate sin in any form, period. God hates sin. Probably flagged right now for hate speech, but it's actually just the reality. God can't tolerate sin in any form, period. God hates sin. And do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Saints, for years, I had my own battle with my testimony and thinking, Lord, how could you ever use me? And then read this and realized, I'm a such were some of you. I'm a such were some of you. God can't tolerate sin in any form. God hates sin. And he has a cure for the sin-sick disease that you suffer from through the redemptive blood of his precious son, Jesus Christ. And when we know that, we need to not be a people who seek to tolerate and live peacefully with the world. No, we hate the disease of sin and we live peacefully through and only through sharing the truth of the cure, sharing the truth of the antidote for eternal healing beyond measure, Jesus. It's again we see the reality of the duality, Christ life, devil life, bam. Spirit, flesh. There's no gray contrary to the live your truth culture we're in. God is the God of love. God is the God of love. And God's love doesn't change his hate for sin and the punishment for unrepented sinners. And that's why we need an urgency to share the gospel. We need to be a witness. We need to be a light Think of the first message of the month of July. The door is open for the church. This church, open 20 years ago, still open, and there's still people who don't know Jesus in this area. In your neighborhoods, in your lives, in your families. Verse 7. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. We got a poetry element. Remember, we were going to highlight when they come up. We got contrast now. David now contrasts himself with the wickedness he just mentioned. And he says, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. What David is saying there, he's saying, you know, the only way I can come is because of your mercy. I'm guilty and you give me access. Mercy there translates steadfast love. And oh, can't we say it is only the steadfast love of God that gave us Jesus, that gives us access to him, that lets us be in this place right now studying his word. And he says here, in fear of you, I will worship. He doesn't base his worship of God on emotions. 
doesn't base it on a light show, doesn't base it on getting an experience, doesn't base it on how amped up the music gets him. And there's a funny side, as a former music major, there's been music historians who have written on how they take certain key signatures, certain dynamics, certain things, and if you mix this key and that and this, you get a certain emotion from the people. You evoke a certain emotion, a certain feeling. That's why here we are so focused on the words of our worship songs, that they just point to Jesus. They just point to him. It is in fear in worship because that fear is reverence. It's awe of the God of creation. It's awe in the fact that we only have access to worship, to be in his presence because of his son. It's the reminder from this last Sunday, I am not the Christ. The Hebrew word for worship there means to bow down. Again, it's humility towards God. And where does he bow down? He bows down to the temple, toward your holy temple. And when I read that, I think of what that means for us who know that Jesus spoke of his body as the temple that would be destroyed and rebuilt. Who do we bow down and worship? Jesus. Verse 8, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before my face. David does what we all need to do. He seeks instruction from the Lord. The book of James promises us trials, but what do we get in verse 5 there? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. We too need to go to God as the guide. Remember, Psalm 1, what was the guide? Delighting in the word, meditating on it. Psalm 2, what's the guide? Serving the Lord with fear, rejoicing with trembling, kissing the Son in submission. There's a theme, surrender to God and submission to God. David seeks his leading, seeks his righteousness because he knows only God has righteousness. I want to be a better man. Okay, I'm tired of hearing that phrase. Open the Bible and read it, and you'll be a better man. You want to be a better person? Open the Bible and read it. Notice we have to emphasize and read it. Don't just open it. You also have to read it. No gym, no workout program, no 12-step program. Nothing's going to make you better but the word of God because you see him face to face. And he says here, make your way straight before my face. He doesn't say, make my way straight. Make your way straight because I want to live the way you call God, because you're in control. Think of what we saw with John the Baptist. What did he come to do? He came to prepare the way that they would repent, that they would have that humility in that baptism of an awareness of their state. Nothing's changed with this. The word of God is so timeless. We still need to surrender. It's about his way, not ours. We need to seek his face. We need to seek his guidance. His word, his spirit, his way. It is an anthem in my prayer for this church as your pastor. His word, his spirit, his way. That's it. Verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Timeless truth. That's one of those in scripture I call timeless truth. You read that and you could think you're talking about the world today. 
Now, before we go where we sometimes go, and you got to be discerning and asking the Lord, help me to see when I do this, when you read that and then think, well, I'm not that sinner. I'm in my Bible right now. Look at me. Let's look at Paul's words where he quotes this. Romans 3. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are Swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All fall short. Don't get on the high horse when you read about sinners in Scripture. But for the grace of God, that's us. We're all sinners. That's us. We read verse 10. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But for the blood of Jesus, that's us. Now, we need to be aware of flattery. That's a big thing in our culture today. You can go to the church. They'll puff you up. They'll make you feel good. They'll puff your ego. You will get just enough words so that you feel like you're getting truth, but you're just getting your ego puffed, and then you're going to hear, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness, because you never got the full counsel of the word of God. You never had a regenerated heart. We need to be on guard ourselves. We need to be vigilant and open our eyes to the world around us. Anything taught to you from the Word of God, anything I teach you from the Word of God, you need to check, you need to go through, and you need to prayerfully always discern all of it. And notice the prayer here. He says, pronounce them guilty. That's what makes this the imprecatory psalm. But notice he doesn't say, I want to make them guilty. He says, pronounce them guilty. You do it. Why? God's in control. God's on the throne. We saw it in Psalm 2. We saw it in Psalm 3. We see it in 4. David knows God vindicates his children and he leaves it to him. Those of us, we have the full counsel of the word of God. Leave it to him. Leave it to him. And guess what? Pray for their repentance. Pray for their salvation. Personally, we know that these songs are used for worship. I do wonder personally did any of those folks that really needed to hear it, what would they ever hear these songs being sung and say, oh, that's me. But we need to be mindful of that. Verse 11. But let all those who rejoice put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. We have another contrast, that element of Hebrew poetry, and he shifts now from the rejecting ones to those who receive. And what do they receive? Rejoicing. 
How do they rejoice? Because their trust is in the Lord. Where is that joy then found that they have? How? Because he defends them. And what does that joy then mean? It's because also they love his name. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. My wife sings that every morning to Baldrick. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So that's, that's that. Rejoice in the Lord. Saints, we are allowed to be joyful. We get to be joyful. We're commanded to be joyful in his word. And we should pray for joy in ourselves and others. And we should rejoice in the promise of eternal joy. For the child of God, even in the midst of what the world says is the worst thing that could happen, there's joy. How? He is. Ponder who he is. And the joy pours down. What is your relationship with joy? Remember the charge. Search the things in the way between you and God. That's come up a few times. You have to search because that keeps you away from that joy because you're putting things in the way of your intimacy with the Lord. Verse 12. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. God blesses with favor. What is the favor? A shield around us. What is a shield? It's protection over every part of our being. And guess what? We might get hurt. We might get dinged. We might get beat up. But for the child of God, there's no eternal damage. Because our eternity is with him. Now, in Luke 23, 34, we read, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. The cross was the ultimate rejection. The cross is the ultimate being rejected, and he prayed for their forgiveness. Saints, in our culture of rejection today, we need to pray. Get under his shield and pray that those rejecting come to know him and join you under his shield. You want revival? Pray for repentance. Intercede on the behalf of those who need repentance. Don't come up with a marketing plan. Don't come up with a social media campaign. Pray and stick to the word of God. That's trusted help. That's security for you and me. Now, if you don't know him, I pray that you do come to know him. And I pray that you do come under the banner of his shield for eternal security. Because I want your name in the book of life. Because the name's not there. They're cast in the fire. If that's you, let's talk. Now, for those of you that it's not, see the blessings and comfort. The security that's yielded from genuine prayer and praise from a heart seeking to do what is right, seeking to be in his spirit, yielded to him and aware of how big he is and how little we are. An awareness that that access to go to prayer is only through his mercy and grace. We deserve nothing. No, we deserve death, but we don't get it through his mercy and through his grace. So the charge for this week, one, take stock of your prayer and praise life. Take stock of your prayer and praise life. Notice I said praise. Everyone should be singing praise to the Lord, not just on Sunday morning. But is it a habit or do you actually take the time to make sure you're in the right spirit of prayer and praise that is humble and seeking to glorify and speak to him alone? Two, get a morning date with Jesus and stick to it. Cut the excuses. I say that in love. Cut the excuses. Get a morning date with Jesus 
and stick to it. And if you're struggling with that, what I say to the youth, imagine if going to the cross, Jesus said, hang on, I'm too busy, I gotta check my Instagram, and didn't make it. Where would we be? Cut the excuses. Set that date with the Lord. Three, seek him more in his word and relish in the gift of joy. As you read his word, as you read his promises, as you see who he is, as you see the promises that he gives us, be joyful in that. Be joyful in recalling who he is. Be joyful in recalling the promises he's given. Be joyful in the testimonies he has done in your life. Get a journal. Put in an app all the blessings that the Lord does. And when you're not joyful, go back and read that. Look at what he's done in your life. Look at what he's done through his word. And then take that joy and shine the light in this dark world. We have such a gift in this book of Psalms. We have such a gift in the word of God. And brothers and sisters, we got to dig in more. we got to relish the goodness of this precious love letter. We have to seek that it discern our thoughts and the intents of our heart that we can be refined for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for David's example in this prayer and praise unto you, Lord. Father God, help us to cry out to you. Help us to groan and moan unto you. Help us to use our words unto you, Lord. That we remember we're going to your throne. Only possible through your mercy and grace. That we seek to just pour our hearts out to you, Lord. There's no script we have to follow. There's no getting it right. It's just you and us. That we would remember to be humble when we come to you, Lord. And Father, that we would allow ourselves to relish in the gift of the God of creation, bringing his ear to hear our prayers. Lord, that's humbling to think that you care that much about us. Help us to relish in that, Lord, and help us to find the joy in that and the joy in you, Lord, that no matter what's going on, we can shine as a light and witness of your goodness of your grace, and of your mercy. That we can intercede on behalf of those who don't know you, that they would come to know you. Help us to be the people you need us to be and the church you need us to be for your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen.